And with that, I'm going to ask that you have your Bibles out, ready to dive into Matthew chapter 6 in just a few moments. Uh, Today, we'll be continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' greatest message of all time. This is the greatest sermon of all time preached by the greatest preacher of all time, Jesus Christ. I think we all understand that there are some wrong ways to pray. Am I right? There are some wrong ways to pray. Uh, you think back just a few months uh, to this year's Super Bowl. And so we had the Chiefs uh, facing the Buccaneers and all the uh, the betters out there knew that the odds were in the Chiefs' favor. The Buccaneers were the underdog. But do you remember what the score was at halftime? At halftime, the Chiefs were down 21 to 6. And so a lot of people began praying at halftime because a lot of people had invested money and their bragging rights in the Chiefs winning. And so all of a sudden we have the underdogs, the Buccaneers, they are just wiping the field (laughs) with the Chiefs. And so people all over America begin praying. They wanted God to work a miracle in the second half because, you know what? They had money on the line. They had their reputations on the line. They had their bragging rights on the line. Do I even need to say it? That is the wrong way to pray. God doesn't care who wins the Super Bowl. Uh, What else? Well, sometimes we pray prayers that actually are a little passive-aggressive. Some of us will pray prayers Uh, to give others a guilt trip. A few examples. Instead of confronting someone face-to-face about dropping the ball, we might, in their presence, pray a little prayer like this. Lord, thank you for Jennifer, but I pray that she will stop being late all the time. Ever heard someone pray a prayer like that? Uh, How about this one? Uh, Father in heaven, help John to stop being so rude to me and to realize how much it gets on my nerves. Parents, honestly, at some point or another, all of us have prayed these types of kind of passive-aggressive guilt trip prayers in front of our kids. After all, why would we want to confront little Billy about his bad behavior when we can just pray for him at the dinner table, right? There are some wrong ways to pray. But in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, In Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus turns to his followers and begins teaching us the right way to pray. He says in Matthew 6, 9, this then is how you should pray. And he proceeds to teach us that prayer we know as the Lord's Prayer. This morning, we're going to continue taking a closer look at this amazing prayer, which serves as a guide and serves as a roadmap for praying prayers that are both powerful and effective. Today's message is called the Lord's Prayer, Part 2. We'll be focusing in on verses 11 through 15, but I want to make sure uh, that we know the whole prayer uh, before we dive into the second half of it, beginning in verse 11. So I'm going to start reading in verse 9, even though our primary focus will be the second half of the prayer today. Here's what we read beginning in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Skipping down to verse 9. This then is how you should pray. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, here in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to address God as our Father in heaven. We talked about this a little bit last week. That title, Our Father, reminds us that God is love. Those two words, in heaven, reminds us that God is both holy and powerful. So when we pray to God, Jesus wants us to keep these three things in mind. God is love, God is holy, and God is powerful. Remember that there are six prayer requests here in this short prayer. Last Sunday, we focused on the first three in verses 9 and 10. Number one, hallowed be your name. Number two, your kingdom come. And number three, your will be done. And as Jesus finished verse 10, he makes it clear that all three of these first prayer requests should be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So think of it this way. That first prayer is, God, hallowed be your name here on earth as it is in heaven. The second prayer request, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And then the third prayer request, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Remember that prayer is is much more about getting God's plans carried out on earth than it is about getting our plans uh, carried out in heaven. Robert Law said it so well, prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. So is it wrong to ask our Father in heaven for certain things that we need or want? Sometimes. But is it always wrong? No, it's not wrong to ask God for things you need or want if your greatest desire is to see God's name hallowed, to see his kingdom come and his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So if that is our heart's greatest desire, God, I want to see your name cherished and I want to see your name treasured and loved. I want to see your kingdom expand around me here on earth as it is in heaven. And I want your will to be done much more than I want my own will to be done. If that is our heart's desire, absolutely, we can bring our needs and our wants to God in prayer. Many Christians assume that the first three prayer requests in the Lord's Prayer are focused on God's needs and wants, and the final three prayer requests are focused on our needs and wants, but that's really only partially true. Yes, it's true that the last three prayer requests are very personal and and very practical, but each of them stems from a desire to see God's name honored, to see God's kingdom come, and see God's will be done once again on earth as it is in heaven. So sometimes we treat uh, praising and worshiping God as a formality, as kind of a, a hoop we have to jump through in order to get to the really good part of our prayer, the meat of our prayer, which is when we tell God what we want Him to do. And Jesus makes it clear that the first half of this prayer is by no means a segue. It's not a formality. It's not a hoop we jump through to get to the good stuff. 
If we are just going through the motions of praising and hallowing God's name and asking for his will to be done and asking for his kingdom to come, just so we can get to the good stuff we really want to talk about, that's a shallow prayer. In fact, that's a Pharisee's kind of prayer. And it won't cut it for a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, hallowing God's name isn't a segue to the meat of our prayers. Hallowing God's name is the meat of our prayers. Allow that to sink in. If I were to pick one of these six prayer requests that is the the deepest, darkest, richest, juiciest meat in this entire prayer, it would be the very first prayer request. Hallowed be your name. It serves as a foundation for every other one of the five requests that follow it. A quick side note. Many Christians think that the first part of a worship service, the praise and the worship time, is just a segue to the meat of the worship service, the sermon. We say, it doesn't matter if I miss the first few songs of the sermon, excuse me, the first few songs of the service, uh, I, I caught the entire sermon. And so it's fine if I roll in late, it's not a big deal. Well, there's no doubt that the sermon is a very important part of the service. That's why I spend so much time preparing for one each week. It's a very important part of the service. But so too is the praise and worship. Like the first half of the Lord's Prayer, the praise and worship time is the meat of the service. It's not the only meat, but it is the meat. Uh, Please never think that honoring and, and cherishing and treasuring and loving God through musical worship is expendable. It's never expendable. Hallowing God's name through music and prayer is one of the most important things that we do together as a church. Well, with that in mind, let's take a closer look at the last three prayer requests that Jesus gives in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' fourth prayer request is this one. Give us today our daily bread. We find that in verse 11. This is the first of the more personal prayer requests in the Lord's Prayer. But what exactly does Jesus mean when he says, give us today our daily bread? Well, this word daily is a translation of a very unique Greek word. It turns out that this word translated as daily is only used in the New Testament in the Lord's Prayer. And as Bible scholars have researched how this word is used in other Greek documents outside of the Bible... They couldn't find a single ancient Greek document that uses this same word. It's a very unique word, only used in the Lord's Prayer. So that makes it a little tricky for us to translate. And so we can't be absolutely certain what Jesus means when he said, give us today our daily bread, but we're pretty sure this is what he meant. You see, in the Bible, bread is oftentimes used as a symbol or a metaphor. But more times than not, bread is used as a synonym for food. And so what Jesus most likely is saying with his fourth prayer request is this. Our Father in heaven, give us the food we need for our sustenance and our support. Give us the food we need today for our sustenance and support. With that in mind, here's how the New Living Translation translates this part. Give us today the food that we need. Give us today the food that we need. Now, I'd like to point out a couple insights that I've learned about this simple prayer request. Insight number one, 
This fourth prayer request implies a daily dependence on God. So let that sink in for a moment. This first or fourth prayer request really implies a dependence on God every single day. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, give us this month the food we need. He doesn't even teach us to pray, give us over the next few days the food that we need. Jesus teaches us to express our dependence on God every day. I like how Matthew Henry says it. He says it this way. We ask for our daily bread, which teaches us constantly to depend upon divine providence. We beg of God to give it to us, not sell it to us, not lend it to us, but give it. The greatest of men must be beholden to the mercy of God for their daily bread. And then he goes on to say this. We pray that God would give it to us this day, which teaches us to renew the desires of our souls toward God as the wants of our bodies are renewed. As the day comes, we must pray to our heavenly father and reckon we could as well go a day without food as without prayer. Isn't that good? It's well said. What a marvelous insight. Most of us have food in our pantries and enough food in our fridge to last our families a week or two at least. Some of us probably have emergency rations and have enough food on our property to last us a month or two. And it's a little bit unnatural for us to think of depending upon God every single day for our food when we've got plenty of food sitting in our fridge and sitting in our pantry. But that's what Jesus is teaching us to do. As we go to God every day, we are to go to him with our physical needs for that day. And when we have these hunger pains that kick in, you know, it's kind of like a Winnie the Pooh that got a rumbly in his tumbly. Uh, maybe, you know, if I was a certain creature from the Lord of the Rings, I would want to be a hobbit because I love to eat every couple hours. That sounds great to me. First breakfast and second breakfast and 11 Z's. I'm all over that. And so every time our tummy starts to rumble, every time our, 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 our appetite starts to kick up, maybe you could think of it this way. God is reminding you to lean on him for your daily needs right now in this moment. God has given us these hunger pangs that will kick in every single day if we're not eating quick enough. And it's a reminder that we lean on God to meet our daily needs. It's not your frigid air that feeds you. Yeah, that frigid air may hold the food, but it is God who provided the food that went into the frigid air in the first place. Amen? God is the great provider of our needs, not our paycheck, not our pantry, not our refrigerator. Well, insight number two. This fourth prayer request implies that Christian families should be praying together every day. Think about it. Remember that the personal pronouns I, me, and my are nowhere to be found in the Lord's Prayer. You won't find a, a single singular personal pronoun in this entire prayer Jesus teaches us. What you will find are the plural pronouns we, us, and our. So as we saw last week, the Lord's Prayer is a guide not just for personal one-on-one -on -one prayer with God. It's also a guide for prayer with other Christians. So you with me so far? Okay, well, think about this. 
Jesus is teaching us to pray for our daily needs, to take this kind of prayer to him every single day, and not to do it alone, but with other Christians. How do we do that when the church only meets one or maybe twice a week? If a church is just meeting once or twice a week, he can't be referring to the church community gathered together because for the first 1,800 years of Christianity, there were no telephones. These days, we could get on the phone every day with each other and pray together this prayer. Uh, We could, through Zoom, you know, pray together uh, over the Internet, this kind of prayer. But for the first 1,800 years of Christianity, they had neither Zoom nor phones. And so what's he saying? Jesus seems to clearly be saying that Christian households are to be praying this prayer together. They are to be going to God every day as a Christian family, asking God to meet their physical needs for that day. So Jesus wants us to pray with our spouses. Give us today our daily bread. He wants us to be praying with our children. Give us today our daily bread. He's even saying to kids, maybe, with your brothers and sisters, every day go to God asking for your needs to be met. Give us today our daily bread. 19th century theologian Albert Barnes described it this way. He says, no community or congregation can meet every day for worship, but families. It is therefore evident that this prayer contains a strong implied command for daily family prayer. Nowhere else can it be breathed forth with so much propriety and beauty as from the lips of a father. What a wonderful blessing it is when the head of the household, for some households it's the mom, because dad has already been shown the door or never was inside the door in the first place. But what a beautiful thing it is when the head of the household prioritizes prayer with his or her family and lifts up the family's needs to God with his family every single day. Parents, pray to your father in heaven with your kids every day. And as you pray to him, take the needs of your family to him. Go to him together, praying our Father in heaven, give us today the food that we need. Well, that's Jesus' fourth prayer request, give us today our daily bread. Now, his fifth prayer request, right there in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. In Jesus' day, Jewish teachers used the word debts as a synonym for sins. So Jesus is teaching us here to pray that our Father in heaven would forgive us for our sins as we also have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And if you're wondering if Jesus is actually saying what you think he is saying, the answer is, yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, he's saying what you think he's saying. Jesus is teaching us to basically pray, Father in heaven, please forgive me for my sins, but only forgive me to the extent that I have already forgiven others who have sinned against me. And all God's children say, ouch, that hurts a bit, doesn't it? It stings a little bit. From what I've read, the Greek grammar used here indicates that the follower of Christ prays for forgiveness from God only after having first expressed forgiveness to others. Ouch. In case we miss what Jesus is saying here, he clarifies this fifth prayer request at the end of the Lord's Prayer in verses 14 and 15. 
Jesus lifts up six prayer requests in the Lord's Prayer, but it's only this fifth one that Jesus expands upon after the prayer. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. Jesus says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Is Jesus actually saying that God will refuse to forgive us if we refuse to forgive others? Bingo. That's exactly what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. But how can that be? We've been taught for years that God is a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of forgiveness. And isn't his forgiveness unconditional? Yes, yes, and yes. Those things are all true. But think about it. How could we possibly expect God to forgive us for a sin that we fully intend to commit again and again and again? Tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. Do we take God for a fool? How can we expect God to forgive something that we have no intention of stopping doing? We can't. Many of us turn to 1 John 1, 9 and 10 because that's such a marvelous passage about God's forgiveness. It says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Notice the if there at the start of that verse, if we confess our sins. He goes on to say, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Friends, unforgiveness is a sin. In fact, it's one of the gravest sins. It's one of the most serious sins. So if you and I cling to unforgiveness like a three-year-old clings to his blankie, then you know what? All bets are off. We can't do that as a follower of Christ. We can't expect Christ to forgive us if we refuse to let go of our sin. According to John, when we pretend that our sin isn't really sin, we're making God out to be a liar because he has made it very clear that unforgiveness is a sin. So according to Jesus, this is the wrong way to pray. Oh God, forgive me for the sin that I'm unwilling to admit is a sin and unwilling to let go of. God's not going to answer that kind of prayer for forgiveness, is he? And this is the right way to pray. Our Father in heaven, you are a God of great mercy and forgiveness. So as we follow in your footsteps, we have shown mercy and forgiveness to those who have insulted us, those who have persecuted us and falsely said all kinds of evil against us. Now, gracious Father, as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us, please forgive us for the sins we've committed against you. We ourselves aren't holding on to any unforgiveness, so please forgive us, Father. Can you say that with all honesty when you pray to God for forgiveness? God, I am not holding on to any unforgiveness. I have forgiven everyone who has sinned against me. Therefore, God, I ask you that you would now forgive me. The message, I think, paraphrases verses 14 and 15 so well. The message says it this way. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Isn't that good? Think about that last phrase. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off.
from God's part. If you refuse to do your part, you can't expect God to do his part. Your part is, number one, to forgive those who have sinned against you. You've got to do it. And number two, your second part is to confess your sins to God and turn from them. And when you do these two things, when you take care of your unforgiveness toward others and forgive those that have wronged you, and number two, when you confess your own sin to God, then you can better, you know, you can take this to the bank. You better believe that God is going to do his part. He will be faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, before moving on to prayer request number six, I'd like to say this one last thing about seeking God's forgiveness for sin. I want to say this. The more we are focused on hallowing God's name, expanding his kingdom, and seeing his will done on earth as it is in heaven, the more conscious we will become of our own personal sin, the more conscious we become of our own personal sin, the more merciful and forgiving we will be to others who sin against us. Do you see this progression? As we focus on hallowing God's name, as we spend time reflecting on the holiness of God, we realize how far we really fall short of the holiness of God. We know that verse and Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but it usually doesn't sink in on a daily basis. But if we go to God and focus on how his name is to be revered and honored, how he is holy, set apart from all sin, then we become more aware of our own sin. And as we become more aware of our own sin, we're more likely to have mercy and grace on those who have sinned against us. Because after all, when it comes down to it, We look at ourselves and say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I've been a wretch to God. So how can I help but forgive those around me who have sinned against me when they do wretched things to me? Because after all, I've done wretched things myself to God. Oh, God wants us to go to him in prayer, asking him to forgive us, but only after We have expressed our willingness to forgive those around us. And we've gone out and actually done it. Jesus' sixth prayer request is there in verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, Jesus wants us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Now, that brings up a troubling question. Does God actually lead us into temptation? Does God ever tempt us? Well, James answers that question in James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. So, all right, if God doesn't tempt us, then what is this sixth prayer request all about? What's Jesus saying? Well, the word temptation is a translation of another interesting Greek word that can be translated in one of two ways. It literally means test. And so sometimes the same Greek word is translated in the New Testament as test. Other times it's translated as temptation. And the only way you know the difference of which way to translate it is the context. 
And so the context here dictates translating this word as temptation. But when we ask the question, is Jesus focused here in the sixth request on tests or on temptations? The answer really is he's focused on both. He's focused on on both. Jesus is basically saying, Lord, Father, do not lead us into tests or temptations that would lead us into sin. Deliver us from temptation. Deliver us from evil. Now, I want you to jot this down because it's a really important insight that I learned from Pastor John Piper. Now, this is one of those insights that the light bulb just went off in my head when I heard it. This is so, so good. You see, all of us have worldviews and uh, these viewpoints through which we uh, view our world around us, uh, these lenses through which we see the world. This is something that is so important and foundational. I want you to add it to your worldview. This is going to shape the way you view temptation and trials, I think, from this point forward. Here's what John Piper says. All our experiences are tests from God and are at the same time temptations from Satan. Okay? So some might say this is a generalization, but it's a healthy generalization. Every experience you and I go through is at the same time a test from God and a temptation from Satan. God never tempts us to sin. He can't tempt us to sin. It's completely against his nature. But God does test us. Satan, however, it's well within his nature to tempt us, to try to pull us into sin. But the exact same circumstance in your life can simultaneously be both a test from God and a temptation from Satan. Pastor John Piper goes on to say this. I think we have a slide up here. Our pleasant experiences... God wants us to thank him. Satan wants us to idolize the pleasure. See how that works? God tests, Satan tempts. God wants us to thank him when those pleasant experiences come. But when the pleasant experiences come, Satan at the same time wants us us to idolize those pleasures. How about painful experiences? When painful experiences come, God wants us to trust him. It's a test. Will that person lean on me? Will my follower trust me to see them through this, even though at the time it doesn't make sense? And there at the same time, that painful experience, Satan wants us to curse God. You see how that works? I found that this was so insightful as I learned this insight. Everything you go through in life can be both a test and a temptation. God will not tempt you, but at times he will test you in a way to see your faith in him strengthen. At times he will test you to see if you will continue to focus on him and not be distracted by the good things that come your way and start to idolize them. And so be very careful whether it's a good experience or a bad experience or an ugly experience. God wants you to be tested and have your faith proven as true. As it says in James, the trial of our faith is even more precious than gold. But be careful at the same time, Satan will try to use that blessing or that curse, that that good thing or that bad experience to try to pull you away from God. And so... What is Jesus teaching us to pray with this sixth prayer request? Well, for starters, he's teaching us not to get cocky and say, bring it on, devil. Whatever you got for me, give me your best shot. No, 
That's not a very good idea because realistically, if Satan gives you his best shot, he'll knock you on your keister. Even your own old nature, if it gives you its best shot, will likely knock you on your backside. And so Jesus doesn't want us to get cocky. This sixth prayer is a, a, a very, I think, uh, a very humble and, and meek type of prayer. It's, it's showing some self-awareness that, you know what, I, I'm not the, the best at resisting temptation. I'm not even the best at, at making it through some of the tests that God sends me my way. So basically, this prayer is saying this, Oh, Father in heaven, I know that you hate sin. And because you hate sin, I hate it too. The last thing we want to do is dishonor your name or cast your love aside with our sin. So would you please deliver our family and and deliver each of us from temptations and tests that we're too weak to handle? Deliver us from good experiences that might distract us from you and deliver us from bad experiences that might harden our hearts toward you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Oh, the Lord's prayer is so, so good. I'd really love to take some more time to tie it all, tie it all in together uh, with you. But unfortunately, I'm out of time for my message today. So uh, we're going to actually do a, a week three. We're going to take a third look at this Lord's Prayer next week, and I don't want you to miss it because we'll be tying all six of these requests in together along with that prior passage where Jesus talks about going to our secret place in prayer. I want to tie it all together for you next week and have us move on from this section in the weeks to follow, having a solid understanding of how Jesus Christ teaches us to pray. So don't miss next week. Now, in the meantime... I'm going to give you another homework assignment. I gave you one last week. I'm going to give you another one this week. Make these three adjustments to your prayers this week as you pray by yourself and as you pray every day with your family. Make these three adjustments. Number one, express to God your complete dependence upon Him to meet your needs today. Yeah, I know you've got food in your fridge and you've got food in your pantry, but with your family, every day in prayer, together express your dependence on Him. Remind your family, the food doesn't come from the pantry, the food comes from God. Express your dependence on Him. It'll help shape the way you view both God and your own self as you pray. Number two, forgive each other first. Ask God for forgiveness Second, this is going to be hard for some of you. Some of you are probably harboring some unforgiveness and some bitterness and some resentment toward a family member, maybe toward a friend that stabbed you in the back a year or two ago, maybe a neighbor, maybe a boss that fired you, maybe a landlord that evicted you, whoever that person is. Can you this week carry out this task to finally let go of that unforgiveness, to finally put it at the foot of the cross And say, Lord Jesus, I give it over to you. I officially hereby forgive that person. As you're with your family, forgive each other for however you've wronged each other in the past week or the last month or year. Forgive each other. Forgive those around you. And then and only then go to God and ask him to forgive you for your sins against him. And then finally, number three, ask God to deliver you from blessings that might pull you and your family away from God. This is a tough one for many of us as well. We're used to praying prayers for God to deliver us from the temptations. 
to deliver us from the pain, to deliver us from our cancer, to deliver us from our financial ruin. But most of us are not in the habit of praying for God to deliver us from blessings. But you remember what the writer of the Proverbs said in Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9? Something very insightful. He wrote, Keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. What a bold prayer to pray. God, meet my family's needs today, but please don't give me too much. Or I may get focused on the stuff and get distracted from following you. Oh, what a wonderful prayer. God, I pray that you would withhold blessings from me and my family if those blessings will pull me away from you or distract you, distract me from doing what you've called me to do. Well, that's your homework assignment for this week. I encourage you on your own and with your family to lift up those three prayers. And with that, please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name thanking you for being our Father in heaven. We honor and hallow your name. We cherish your name. We adore your name. We, we treasure your name and love your name more than any other. Lord, we want your kingdom to continue to expand in our corner of the world. We want your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We come to you, God, asking you to meet our daily needs. I pray for my church family. Some, Lord, may be low on money here at the end of the month. I pray that you would stretch their dollars and cents, Lord, to, to be able to have the food on their table that they need for their families. Some may be a little short on paying the bills at the end of the month. Lord, I pray that you'd give them what they need to pay the bills. Oh, Lord, have mercy and meet our daily needs. We don't ask you to meet our needs tomorrow or next week or next month, but please meet our needs today. Lord Jesus, teach us to be dependent upon you. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And Lord, we pray that you wouldn't lead us into temptation or to even any tests that are beyond what we can handle. Lord, have mercy on us. Only give us what we can handle with your strength. Sometimes our willpower is weak. Sometimes our strength, Lord, isn't there. So deliver us from tests and temptations that may pull us away from you. Lord Jesus, we ask these things in your holy and awesome name. Amen. Well, today is Decision Sunday. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, we invite you right now to accept Him. There's no better decision you could ever make than to put Jesus Christ in the driver's seat of your life. It's not complicated. We like to share the ABCs. A, admit that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior, Jesus Christ. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven and have a relationship with God. And C, choose to follow him today. Choose to put him in the driver's seat of your life and follow him from this point forward for the rest of your life. If you've decided to make that decision for Christ today, please reach out to one of our prayer counselors. Their numbers are on the bottom of the screen. Reach out to them by phone or text. They'd love to talk with you and pray with you today. Maybe you need to be baptized. We'd love to talk with you about getting baptized as soon as possible.
Or maybe you do want to just become a member of Impact. You're a baptized believer and follower of Christ, and, and you just want to identify with our church family and become a part of Impact. We'd love to talk to you about that decision as well. Whatever that decision may be, you reach out right now. And as you're doing that, I want to speak also to those of you who are uh, already born-again believers and followers of Christ. Many of you are already members of Impact, and you're ready to take communion with us today. I'd love for you to take communion with me right now. Jesus Christ said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He that takes of me will never grow hungry again. He who thirsts, come to the living water, and I will give him drink that will always, always last. So Jesus, yes, the bread reminds us of his physical body that was broken on the cross, but it also can remind us of his eternal body, Jesus Christ himself, who is the bread of life, who gave us life when we were dead in our sins. Take of that bread, remembering Jesus Christ and that sacrifice he made for you and me. And in the same way, Take of the juice that reminds us of his, of his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Please forgive each of us for the sins that have separated us from you this week. Wash us clean in the blood of Christ and help us to follow you better this week than last. Help us to do a better job of honoring your name, cherishing your name, expanding your kingdom in our little corner of the world, calling for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, help us to come to you with our daily needs, deliver us from temptation, and we pray, O oh God, that you would forgive us for any sin, just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're so glad that you joined us today. If there's any way that I or our church staff or leaders can be a blessing to you or your family, please reach out to us by phone or text. We're here for you. We'd love to be a blessing to you if we can. And may God bless you as you serve our great and awesome God and expand the kingdom of Christ in your corner of the world this week. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.